The Whole Ass, a podcast by millennial parents just working through how to give every moment their all. While you listen, nothing is off limits. The Whole Ass, use it or lose it. Welcome to The Whole Ass Podcast. We're glad to have everybody back. Uh, Another episode and we are excited. You have your same hosts here. We have Ava and Philip, and we're going to be bringing you kind of a bonus episode today. So today we're going to talk about weight and Phil's bariatric surgery. And I know we've talked about it before, and so I wanted to talk about a little bit about both of us and our weight journey, but I know I have wanted to talk to Phil on the podcast about the bariatric surgery. I know people have asked him. He's had a lot of people that reach out to him and want to know more and want to know how he did it and why he did it and if it's worth them doing it. So I I don't know. To spread the message, I'm going to interview. Literally, we talked about turning your phone <laughs> off and your phone Target goes off. Target did me dirty because I am on my phone's on silent, but then I got an alert from Target, but my phone's on silent. Is it on do not disturb? You know, you got to do not disturb option. <sighs> Yeah, I didn't think about that. Anyways. The more you know. So I wanted to start off by talking just quickly about your weight journey pre-October 2021 and then my weight journey. And then we'll get into my questions I have for you about bariatric surgery. Okay. Quick and dirty, right? Yeah. Fat, whole life. Started out young. Had movies. Uh, I can remember in third or fourth grade, was significantly overweight, larger than all the other children. 185 pounds in the fifth grade, uh, 280 pounds in the eighth grade. Walked into wrestling class. I was 330. I think it was 333 by the age of 14. So, you know, always been really big. Always been the guy that ate everything. Was that became a part of my identity. Um, I would go around the lunchroom and just eat food. I would sneak food in when I was standing in front of the refrigerator at night or my parents were asleep and I could finally go and get something to eat. Part of it stemmed from um, needing to deal with my emotions. I was definitely, I definitely am an emotional eater and just finding food that gives you comfort. Um, And it's always been something that brings me extreme uh, emotional stress. So Food, weight, the whole nine. Always having to stand on a scale. Every diet you could possibly imagine. Started Weight Watchers, I think, when I was eight years old, right, with my parents. Um, Had to buy Husky Clothes, which was the Fat Kids brand of clothes when you were younger that they sold, I think, at Macy's. And, uh, yeah, it's just ingrained in my memory. Pretty bad weight journey my whole life. Okay. Was that quick enough? That was. So mine, I feel like, was a little bit different. And I was always the bigger kid, but I was always the taller girl. Mm-hmm. And I think I always thought I was bigger. And I think that was always, like, um, said to me. And I think <clears throat> when people would say bigger, they meant taller. But I think I thought they always meant bigger. Khloe Kardashian talks about this with her daughter, which I think is interesting that a lot of people shouldn't say, oh, my God, you're so big. I even think about this with not. And it's like, they actually mean tall when you're a toddler Mm -hmm. or when you're the tallest girl in the class. And I think I always started to get a complex that I was bigger throughout. And I was never, if you actually look at pictures, I was never overweight. 
And then I was always athletic. So I played basketball and I was always in shape, but I always actually felt bigger because I was the bigger girl, but I was never fat, but I always think I thought I was. And so, but I was always athletic. So I was running, I was playing basketball, I was on travel, travel league basketball. And then I just like never, I always felt pretty, but I never felt that I was the skinny blonde cheerleader chick. And I wasn't. Um, and I think that was always kind of a, I never understood it. And I don't think I ever really worked through that. So then when I stopped all the working out naturally, cause I was enjoying basketball and stuff, I went to college and we would like just eat and drink. And, you know, I just proceeded to get bigger. Yeah. And I've always had this idea of myself. I clearly didn't think about this before I started talking, but I've always, I, I joke with Phil now that I have like a backwards body image where I like, I don't have an issue. I do think I'm beautiful. I can see myself. And then sometimes I look at the mirror, I catch a bad photo of myself and I'm like, who is that person? So I've never had an issue really with being the biggest. I think I've always known I am. And so I, then I fit comfortably in that category in my head. But now I'm at a point in my weight journey where I want to be like, healthy for my kids and I want to be able to run and I jokingly said to my our therapist the other day that I've always had this like oh I'm athletic but no Eva you're athletic like 20 years ago you actually can't even run a mile so I'm trying to get back into this moving my body thing so um yeah I think I've always just like eaten whatever I wanted to eat and like not worked out and it's it's not working for me when I quickly am approaching 40 so I have a different weight journey but I also, I do like have an unhealthy relationship with food and I, I don't think I'm as much of a emotional eater as you are, but I mean, I just, just eat whatever. Yeah. I think that. So I don't know. That's valid. I think all those points are very interesting. The bigger thing for you, I think is different. When people said that I was bigger, I think they meant you're bigger in every way than everyone. I never thought about it in the taller way. I think about that with Knox now because people are like, wow, he's huge and He's not. He's very lean, he's but he is lean. incredibly tall. Yeah, and he is a heavy child, but not for his height. So like he's proportional, but you're right. You can develop a complex. The whole thing, and I have a complex about our children's food. Yeah, that's a complete opposite of where I feel I am with food. You know, and that's that's a tricky tricky part. Yeah, and this episode isn't about me, and I do think we should do an episode about like. Plus size women, because I think that's a topic that we should talk about. But right now, it's about Phil's weight loss and bariatric surgery journey. So I wrote some questions. Just so everybody knows, as we go into this episode, I think it's important that I am in a I'm in a weird place this morning with weight. So, you know, I'm not like incredibly happy and like joyous and all of that. So my answers may not be as cheerful or punchy as they have they might have been in a previous episode just be warned i'm, but I I'm think grumpy about it i'm grumpy i think that that is real and why we're doing it right now mm-hmm. so i guess like to give people some context how much did you weigh at your biggest i think you've the heaviest i've ever been i think was 392 pounds and then what has been your smallest weight as an adult through this journey 269 pounds but I had COVID and I wasn't eating at the time. So I'd, I'd say a realistic lowest weight is 274 pounds. And then just for some background, what do they tell you when you get the surgery? Like how much weight should you expect to lose? What's the the goal of keeping it off? 
like all of that? What do they tell you? Yeah, so you should be able to lose, I think, 50% of your excess weight from surgery. So that's like excess obesity weight. And you'll get different numbers depending on where you go. So, And it all depends on your body mass index and all of those things. And then you'll lose it, uh, I think it's like five pounds a week and then two pounds a week. And then you'll lose it for 18 months. And then at 18 months, you'll stop losing weight. And the expectation is to keep it off going forwards. Yeah, and just to give people some uh, uh, partnership, I don't know, context. Uh, when Philip was losing weight, he was, like, like actually melting in front of us. Like, it was. He would come down and be like, yeah, I lost five pounds today, like, from the night before. And it was just, like, shocking. Um, and so I do feel like we just, like, watched it melt off. Yeah. And it did. But I do think it was harder. And I think uh, what I found interesting and I feel like people don't realize is how hard it was like pre-op. So can you talk about what the pre-op was? Oh, yeah. Pre-op was uh, mortifying, especially when you're coming from a place of eating for happiness and joy. So pre-op, you had to go on a pre-op diet. And I know that every clinic is different, so please don't hold my feet to the fire if you're going through this journey and yours is a little bit different. But for my two weeks pre-op, I had to have a liquid diet except for one meal a day. The one meal a day could only be a protein and vegetables. Um, and I was traveling during that whole time. So it was like, it was, it was tough. It was tough. But even like six months prior, you were doing like nutrition classes. Oh yeah. So leading up to it, depending on insurance, you have, like you said, I had six months of going and speaking with, uh, the person who represents whatever group you're going with. They have a nutrition class. They have a health class. They have a, this is what your bariatric journey is going to look like. And they have these seminars that you go to every month. And you had to complete six to be able to go through it for my insurance to get it. So I completed five by the end of the year. And then my insurance changed. And they moved it out to 12. So then I had to talk to this nutritionist, Jenna. She was great. About how I could qualify and get these 12 visits in with stuff that I had already done. Or extra meetings that we could have multiple times a month to try and get by. Because you think about it. You have all these comorbidities, which if you're not familiar, is like diabetes, high blood pressure, high triglycerides, hypertension, sleep apnea, all these things that could, you know, morbidities is not a positive word, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not a clown at the fair. This is like bad stuff. And you're trying to get get out of those. And insurance is telling you, well, we want to hold off a little longer to see. So, you know, you're like super stressed, frustrated, get through all of these different pieces to try and qualify, finally qualify. Um, and then you can go in and get surgery, but it is the whole journey to get there is incredibly difficult. Can you talk about how many medications you were on a day or medications you were on? And then how much do you think it cost us per month for you to be on it? Yeah. So let's list them. You got fingers over there. Okay. I'm going to call them out. So lisinopril, um, Victoza, Ozempic, which you're not supposed to be on at the same time, uh, long acting insulin, Short-acting insulin, um, amlodipine, uh, vasepa. There was another one in there. Metformin. There's another uh, blood pressure medication I can't remember the name of that I was on. Then I was also taking uh, phenofibrate, which is in addition to vasepa. That's for high triglycerides. There was... mm, I know I'm forgetting like two more. Well, I know you said you were on 11 when you went into it, so that was 10. Yeah. Um, before I met you, and I didn't really know that much about diabetes, can you explain 
what being on those medications do. Yeah. And then how it affects weight loss. Yeah, for sure. So um, metformin and anybody who's on it, it's been called glucophage, whatever. It uh, it helps process food that you eat and, and get it out of your body. So it helps excrete it out of your body, which is going to be important for the next part. It causes severe gastrointestinal problems in some people. Mm-hmm. I was one of those some people. So when I would take metformin, any type of grease you would eat, think of it as like taking the Acela train versus a regular Amtrak train, okay? And it was a launch effect that you couldn't control. And I started that in high school. So I used to leave high school early and like in the middle of the day and have to go home to use the bathroom immediately and then come back to class. And it got to the point where the administrators knew that I was like leaving, but I'd be back. You know, it's like, oh, Philip's got to go because he's sick. And every day I was sick. So that was metformin for the journey. Um, And that's one of the longest prescribed diabetes medications that's the healthiest it has like positive heart effects which mm-hmm. is good other ones don't you'll see some of the ones like amlodipine's been in the news for linking to i think it's like possible cancer or some other side effect you have lisinopril which is also a very long long prescribed one which doesn't have a lot of side effects um oh invacana was another one and then um jardians so also I think it's funny that Phil knows all these medical terms for his medicine because I, like, don't know the name of any medicine, yeah. which is funny. So, okay, but talk about when Sorry. you take it, what it does to trying to lose weight. So everyone's like, oh, just okay. lose weight yeah. or just yeah. get off the medicine. And it's like, okay, well, the medicine's keeping me alive and it's doing Got this. It. So metformin helps you lose weight by getting stuff out of your body. Jardiance and Invacana, they take water out of your body. So the way it works is it pulls sugar out and excretes it through your urine. So those help you lose weight. Right. Mm-hmm. The blood pressure ones don't really have much of an, of an effect, but the Humalog and Novolog, which are insulins, mm-hmm. they are a hormone that help you gain weight. So you go from these two that are effective at helping you lose some weight to other injectable insulins, which are given on a sliding scale based on how high your blood sugar is that day, that mess up the whole way that your body works and your metabolism works, and they cause you to gain weight. Perfect example, when I switched from... Um, when I switched insurances, one of the medications by Novo Nordisk, Victoza, that I really enjoyed because it helped me lose weight, and you'll see a lot of this in the news now. There's a lot of celebrities yeah. that are taking these duolaglutides, um, which is the, the name of the drug inside of Victoza mm-hmm. and Ozempic. Um, they help you lose weight by curbing your appetite. Well, when I switched off of that, I was 333 pounds. I switched onto U500 insulin because that's all that Kaiser Permanente at the time would cover from their formulary. I went from 330 whatever pounds to 392 pounds by the time that we got married. And most doctors did not like – they kept wanting to put you on that, and you didn't like it. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and you had to take control of it. That was the hardest thing was – I'm like, guys, I'm going kickboxing three times a week. There's this picture of me, like, in a shirt where I'm flexing, and I have a sweat stain all down my yeah. whole body. And I kickboxing is intense, intermittent fasting, trying to do just protein – Gaining weight. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Calorie deficit, gaining weight. The worst thing that I could possibly handle. And that insulin completely trumps all of the other drugs that you're taking. Yeah. So that's that's the worst. But they all have these different side effects in your body. Mm-hmm. And you think about that. I mean, you follow a lady on, is it Instagram or yeah. TikTok, who's like, you shouldn't put corn syrup in your body. I'm taking handfuls of drugs every yeah. morning. No idea what's in them to try yeah. and regulate my body so I don't die. So I think... It- Okay, so then can you talk about why you wanted – the main reason why you wanted to get gastric surgery? Yeah, so 
the main reason. This is going to get... I used to listen to this meditation. And in this meditation, it was... um, it was yoga nidra for sleep mm-hmm. and they have a visualization that you're supposed to do to visualize what your life looks like and so in my vision there's a tree with a rope swing ava's in a dress Knox is in the rope swing out of the rope swing running around the front yard and i'm chasing him right we end up getting into this house we don't have a rope swing that's fine ava wears dresses everything's good I? but i couldn't chase after Knox, right and i and in we the had, in the visualization in the visualization i'm standing still mm. and then gets to real life we have the child i'm realizing that i am not as mobile as i wanted to be Mm -hmm. you couple that with my feet i was starting to lose sensation in my feet uh due to you know long-term diabetes is part of it it becomes a fear you live in this fear-based world so i was like i have to do something i can't continue this life i can't Mm -hmm. live like this and i had considered surgery forever well then somebody very close to me got diagnosed with uh, cancer, which was something they were going to be my bariatric buddy, right? And I was going to do it with them to support them. They got diagnosed with cancer, and it made me realize, one, I don't have any idea how long I'll be here and what that's going to entail. Two, I have a family that's going to need me, and I need to do everything I can to be around. And so those two things together made me kick my ass into gear and really take action. So it's not one thing. It's it's two things. So physically, just to be able to, not just, but to be able to keep up with our kids and live a healthy life, but physically, as in the way you looked, would you have had surgery if you had none of these comorbidities? No, I don't have any vanity associated with how I looked before. I didn't have any vanity associated with how I looked before. Okay. I've, I've been that size my whole life. It didn't matter what I looked like. I was always going to be Big Phil or... You know, the guy who's chugging water or eating everything or running around like that was my personality. That's this person that I'm living out in real life. I didn't have an issue with it. Okay. Yeah. So we go through all of the steps to get to the surgery. Um, Phil finally gets approved for surgery. Mm -hmm. And he has surgery 20 days before we're scheduled to have our C-section with Miles. Yep. So I am nine plus months pregnant in this going in for the surgery i'm like this is wild this is like the craziest time of our life we're talking to friends who were like don't do it and it was like phil would have to stop phil would have to pause this journey he's been on like the first time he talked to a doctor about this was pre-covid yeah. and we are at 2021 october 2021 mm-hmm. and so it was like either phil waits three months and i'm not miles isn't waiting he's coming so we were like we're just gonna do it um and it was the weirdest time because Phil was dropping weight like no one's business, and I am ten months pregnant. Yeah, it's like the it's, I am huge at the huge. I'm at the biggest point of my yeah, life. Yeah. Um, and you know, everyone knows who's had a, been pregnant, and at that point where you just don't feel great, and then postpartum you don't feel great. I'm recovering from that, and Phil's just literally bouncing in front of me. But I don't know. It was the it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. <laughs> That's how I feel. But it was. I'm glad we didn't pause because. It all just ha- it, we do better when things all happen at once. Yeah, I am not a pauser in life in general either, which is part of my yeah. like issue. I am always foot on the gas. Yeah, but I guess so. We're at that point. You have surgery. I will say I wasn't prepared for the actual surgery because I thought, I mean, I naively just was like, he's gonna come out of surgery and it'll be fine. Like he's gonna be a little bit of pain. <laughs> Literally, Phil came out. They told me he was. <laughs> 
in post-op. The, they called me and said, he's in pain, just so you know. It didn't register for me. And then they tell me what room he's in. I beat him up there. And then I, he comes out of the elevator. They roll him out. And he's literally yelling down the hallway because <laughs> he's on so many drugs. And he's, like, in so much pain. Anyways, then it was just, like, I was shocked. And I remember texting Brittany. Oh, my God. This is so much worse than I – like, I was having an emotional – reaction and then he was gonna vomit and no one was there to like help him and he was just in so much pain and I left that night and Phil's mom was home watching Knox and I got back and she was like how was he and I don't even think I could I wanted to be the like daughter-in-law that's like your son is it's great it's gonna be great but I was like I think I came home and was like no Wendy that was I wasn't ready like she probably should have (laughs) went like I wasn't ready Anyways, then I walked back in the next morning because I didn't sleep there because I was 10 months pregnant. And Phil was like, you were FaceTiming with Steve and Erica and you were like your normal self. And I remember just feeling so relieved. But I, anyway, so the surgery happens. The surgery was harder than you thought. Uh, the surgery was easy. I slept. Well, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> coming out, the recovery, vomiting was weird Ew. because I didn't have anything in my tiny stomach. Oh, my God. But that nurse was great. I got. Yeah, I don't. It wasn't it a dude. No. Well, no? that he, he gave us the vomit bucket but the nurse who came in and explained what was happening and why you were in so much pain oh yeah was helpful for me at least so anyway you get out of surgery and you're like okay i got a little stomach that's fine i gotta eat ice chips fine i can't eat for a day everything's gonna be fine then you have some ice chips and you're like wait why does it feel like somebody's playing tetris inside of my body you can feel your organs moving for six months and they are rearranging and adapting to space you go to the doctor and you're like hey somebody's inside of my body Right with boxing gloves, and they're pushing stuff around. They're like, "No, that's your body adjusting." So yeah. it's filling this chasm that was there by your huge stomach. Um, and if you don't know about the sleeve, basically three quarters of your stomach comes out. You go from the size of a football to the size of a banana, a small banana. Um, and that's what that's what I was dealing with. And it was crazy. Half a cup of food at a time. Keep in mind, I had 102 chicken wings at once when I was 16 years old at the Wings Bash. And chugged how much water? I could, the most I've ever chugged at once, well, the worst, so I'll give you my worst chug, was a 64 ounce or two liter of Sprite, and I chugged it straight. How do you chug Sprite? Well, there's ladies around, you want to impress them, that's the (laughs) thing you do as a 14, 15 year old. That might have been the thing that expanded your stomach. Turns out, didn't work, no impressing of any ladies. But yeah, so I used to be able to chug 64 ounces of Gatorade, too, after a wrestling match, no problem. So... You go from that, right, and probably 200 ounces of water a day mm-hmm. to four ounces max that you can consume at a time. And when it's liquid, it's like two ounces. So you're like sipping water yeah. and you can feel it in your stomach. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. So long time, half a cup of food. After surgery, you can't eat whole foods. You're eating broth. You're eating Jello. That's So two weeks of broth and protein shakes, two weeks of Jello. Two weeks of, like, soft solids, so egg salads blended up. Granted, you'd find ways to get creative, like blending spaghetti sauce into yes, in a blender. Yes, get really, really You know, you, like, you're just craving this stuff, so. Yeah. But you have to stick to the diet so that you can be successful. And you get out of that, and, you know, I'm a year and, what, a year and a half? No, year and a quarter. year and a half will be April because will be not, April. I'm miles away. So a year and a quarter now, and I can probably eat a cup and a half of food mm-hmm. at once if I sit down and eat it. But you have all these habits that you have to remember to do, like chewing slowly, using a small fork, eating off a small plate, all of these pieces. No drinking and eating at the same no time. No drinking and eating at the same time, which which always freaks out waiters and waitresses. Oh, my God. They don't like Can I it. get you a drink? No. Not even a water? 
I don't know what no means to you. I'm still going to bring you But if you were on a college campus and I said no, that no means no, (laughs) right? Like, that's it. And I'd say 50% of... I was not talking to the mic. I would say fifty percent of waiters still bring you water. Oh yeah, they're so uncomfortable. <laughs> you like you're like you're breaking their mold. I did not know that it was that important to have <laughs> liquid at a meal, but you can't thirty yeah. minutes before and after. Plus, you want to be able to eat what's in your stomach. So, well, eat and eat stuff and get it into your stomach. Don't eat what's in your stomach. That's called vomiting. What do you think the average person would think is the most surprising thing about having gastric surgery? That it doesn't make you lose all the weight and then you're done. I think people always, like, not stereotype, but they always um, say before surgery, oh, you're going to do that? You could just diet. You could just exercise. You could just count your calories. You could just go fuck yourself because you don't understand what my journey is. Yeah. And they always are like, why are you taking the easy way out? And I didn't get it as much as some people, I think because I was so big and I'm in people's face and I'm very much like, this is what's happening. So much of our society is like, no, you can't do that to your health. But you can go get fat injected into your ass any time of the day and it's fine. I can get Botox, botulism put into my face. I can get my lips done, right? I can, get my, I can get my breast enlarged. <laughs> I can get liposuction. All more acceptable than getting gastric yeah. surgery, which is wild because- it's, like, significantly more beneficial to have gastric surgery. Yeah. Also, I have to say, um, being on the outside of it, or being the outside inside, um, it's not easy because I had the reaction of, like, I could go to the doctor and talk about getting gastric surgery. Like, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm on the borderline of being able to get in. I look at Instagram, and I'm like, there are definitely women who are smaller than me that have had it. And I literally thought to myself, Dr. Phil had surgery, I would rather... <laughs> Cut calories and work out to not have to go through what Phil went through. Like leading up to it, the actual day of surgery, I think I have PTSD from. And Sounds like it. and afterwards. Like the the dedication and willpower that you had to have pre and post op, I'm like, I'd rather get on the treadmill and like lose the weight like that. And I think me, because of my weight loss journey, I have always gone back to like, you're athletic. You just got to get your ass back there. Yeah. Um, so that's what I, so I don't think it's the easy way out. I mean, I really don't. I think it's harder. It's at least not. for me. I think it's a, I do think it's a personality thing and you do make goals and you stick to them. So I do think it's a personality thing where you're like, will I follow this all the way through even after it happens? Mm-hmm. So I don't go back. And that's always been your fear. I guess you're yeah, it is fear. The fear. Um, what do you think the most surprising thing is that you learned post-surgery, like after going through this journey? What's been the most surprising? Um, or about you, not maybe about the surgery, but like. Yeah, I think how much, how much happiness I got from food. When people say emotional eating, everybody, like it's, it's a common term now and we know what it means and we feel like, but when you can't do it, when it's gone, right? When you take a handful of Skittles and you eat them and your stomach hurts, your body says, no, you can't be an emotional eater. You realize just how attached to food you were. Mm-hmm. And it hurts to think about. And then you wonder why. Like, why was I so attached to this? And still unpacking that, still yeah. trying to get in the. But that's the thing is like, how much food I was consuming when I was in a place of pain, sadness, or discomfort. What, I guess, what was your mental state 
prior to surgery, and what is it like a year later? I was afraid that everybody was going to not want to be around me anymore because I was a different person. Mm-hmm. I was always Big Phil. Like I said, the persona that I've lived in life, um, that person was going away. My biggest fear before was that I wouldn't be able to chug water. I know that sounds weird, but something about your stomach being full for me gave me a sense of happiness, and I would chug water to do that. And I had this, I had this ability to drink super fast. Uh, and then that was the thing I was afraid of. People weren't going to like, nobody's Phil can't chug water. I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> Phil can't eat a hundred chicken wings. I don't, I don't why would I want to be around this guy? So much of my identity was tied to food or consumption. And it turns out that people don't really care. Like they might enjoy the fanfare or the theater of those things, but there was something about me as a person that was more important those than those, which, which feels really good. And also makes you feel like, why would somebody care about that? But yeah. that was a big fear I had before that's since been myth-busted. And what's your mental state now? Mental state now is, is completely still pretty uh, wild in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So now it's making sure that you're taking care of yourself, always worrying that you're going to gain all your weight back, wondering if you're hurting your stomach, your insides, all these things that you've learned about. And the biggest mental piece, I think, is this body dysmorphia when you look in the mirror and you see the old fat version that you called yourself every morning when you woke up, right? Like if, if I woke up and I would look and I'd be like, oh, look at that belly or look at that. Look at the jowls. Any of those things. I have a question about that. Uh-huh. Sorry. I interrupted, but I. Go ahead. I, I've always wondered this about body dysmorphia. Do you really not see yourself? Do you really see that person? It's really weird. Or do you see yourself, but you see all the bad that's still there, that you feel is still there? So I can tell you now, depending on the mirror, it's worse. So if I look in our mirror, it is uh, generally me seeing the old person I looked at in the mirror. There's a mirror at your mom's house that like skinny-fies you. That was the one by your bedroom. No, the one in the downstairs bathroom. Oh, oh yeah. Like a completely different person. <laughs> yeah. And so I look in there, I'm like, ah, yeah, that guy's cool. But I, the same, like, but the mirror that we have, I will look at it and I will be seeing myself, but it's like my mind is blending together these two versions of a person into one person. So all I see is still that person that's overweight, that's unhealthy, that has all these, these issues. And then I, the only time that I really don't see it is when I go downstairs and we look at the Google Home and there's two pictures of me where Google's like, hey, this is you fat. <laughs> this is you not so fat. And it's like next to each other and you're like, wow, those are completely different people. But if it's not that, you only see the worst version of yourself. As you're looking at yourself. Like I – Yeah. You explain it to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I was like, look, and I'm like, how – but it's not – that's not – that's not who I am. And then you're like, but it is who you are because clearly that's you. You're walking around, you know, and you're having this whole thing. So it's a mind it's a mind fuck. It really is. Yeah. And then what's your relationship with food and the scale and now working out? So the scale is the worst by far. The scale is you got so much joy from losing weight when you were losing weight that once it stops, you're looking for it and it's not there, right? You're still a lower weight, but you're fluctuating. It changes every day. There are some days that I could go up 10 pounds. There are some days I could go down 6 pounds. 
You know, it, and it depends on what you drank. Did you go to the bathroom that day? Blah, blah, blah. So that's a very unhealthy relationship. I actually had a meeting with a nutritionist this week to talk about it. And she shared that you shouldn't live and die by the scale. You should weigh in essentially once a week at the same time and measure it. But the scale's there and you're like, oh, I got to get on the scale. Which is funny because I used to never get on the scale because I hated seeing the number yeah. on the scale. So that's the scale one. Bad. That's a that's a not a good one. Mm-hmm. The workout one is cool because I can do all kinds of workouts I never did before. I have muscles that I mean it's like it's like you're just uncovering stuff. Like somebody's draining a lake and you're seeing all the stuff at the bottom of the lake, you know? <laughs> and you're like, Oh, look at that. Ava sometimes is like, Oh, look at that muscle in your arm or look at those veins in your legs or or whatever and you're just you can just do these workouts. Like we went to body pump and I was able to do some body pump stuff and I was like, Yeah. yeah. This 90-year-old lady next to me is also doing it, which good for her. She's doing a heavier weight than I am. I, I need to step Those it up. old ladies in that class, I was like. <laughs> They're crushing it. Shout out to you, by the way. But then I'm like, yeah, I can do this body pump. Or I'm doing a workout in the gym and I'm lifting weights. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm doing this. I think this the biggest awesome. thing for me to see you do is the running. The running is 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 crazy. Um, there's just a wild thing. I just get on the treadmill next to people and I don't feel out of place. I've actually started to open up. At the gym, like mm-hmm. I'll start to sing a little bit or dance when I'm on the treadmill and do that stuff where, you know, I didn't even want to go into the gym before. Yeah. You know, I'm doing downward dog poses in front of the mirror by everybody who's doing workouts. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I got to I gotta relax. I got to stretch. You guys can yeah. look at it if you want to. So my relationship to working out has improved significantly. I'm doing a second Spartan race. You know, I'm training all the time. I, I feel like I could just go outside and rip off a mile. But are you feeling like those are wins? No. Why? Because the weight has so much more weight in my life. I think the number on the scale is so much more mentally tied to my psyche than a workout is. And it and it messes me up, right? I can look in the mirror right now and I can flex my arms and see muscles. And I can watch them build. Like if I flex right now, like my bicep is significantly larger than it was before. Yeah. And that's cool to squeeze and to look at, but the weight for some reason is always, I don't know if it was the shame that I felt about it. I have such a negative association with weight. It's like I have to break my mind out of it. Even when I have these non-scale victories, they don't mean as much to me. And that's miserable, mm-hmm. right? Like the stuff I can do at the gym, never could have done before. I'm doing a push-up challenge this year. I did 24 push-ups yesterday, <laughs> and I broke it into two sessions, 12 and 12. I can do knuckle push-ups. I can do push-ups on the tips of my fingers. I did diamond push-ups two days ago, right? (laughs) It's but it's true, like all these different things, and but none of it has the same impact, and it should. Yeah, but it's 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 like you're undoing so many years of damage that have been done to you, or that you did to you, or that other people did to you. You know, it's just I'm trying to work through that. I'm trying to think through that. Yeah. What's what the about third thing? food? Food. Ooh. I love food. I love cooking food. I'm really good at it, which is a problem. I feel like some people who like lose a ton of weight when they have surgery, I'm like, you probably don't cook food. So you're just like, yeah, I can have 14 protein shakes. Even if Phil's eating in literally a ramekin, it's like the fanciest thing you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he shoves sure. everything into this little ramekin, and it's like all the things that he wants to eat. I mean, it's a flavor it's explosion. Like fancy. For a long time, I was making those carnitas egg bowls. Yeah. Or barbacoa egg bowls. Yeah. I make like a whole piece of meat because I'm still in that mindset, which is the hardest thing is you have all this food, but nobody to eat it. Mm-hmm. And then you're just 
bringing off these little chunks and eating them a little bit at a time. That's that's my relationship to food. Um, I'm trying to make content for people who are going through this that want to have a healthier option. And in doing that, sharing with others also help myself to have a healthier option. It's a constant battle, a constant journey with food. Constant. Okay. I think in closing, mm. what is the biggest gift having gastric surgery has given you? Progress. It's like through all of the negative mental stuff, the neuropathy in my feet has improved. Mm-hmm. And this was something that isn't wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had this. I can feel things with my toes. I can pick up things with my toes. There's progress Including every day. Uh, ingrown toenail that you had. Yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah. Painful, which we which can talk about that in the been. next, like, ailments that I had before. But the progress is is the biggest win. You see your body changing. Even, like, once you can get past what your mind's doing to itself, you know that you're making progress. You know you can do those push-ups. You know that you can get on the treadmill. You you can't eat the same you were before, which is cool. You know, those pieces you try and hold on to as a small wins. And I think that as I go through and I adjust from the big victory of losing five pounds or 16 pounds a week to the smaller victories in your mind of um, being able to feel things with your toes or being able to, you know, not eat the same levels that you were before and seeing your body gains, I think those will trump the negatives that are still in my mind. But it's a progressive scale. It's never a full-on everything's good with you. It's always that progress, and that is the cool thing. Chasing Knox around, right? We go jogging on the path. That's my favorite thing, actually. When Knox takes off at a run, and then I take off at a run behind him. And he's like, oh, you're catching me. And then he runs faster, and then I run faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the win. Because that's what I was missing in the visualization. That's what was missing in the dream. That's the thing that you're like, I can do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. And then last, last question. Double last. What would you say to anyone who's thinking about having bariatric surgery? Talk to me. <laughs> Call me. I had somebody last week reach out to me. They were thinking about getting surgery. They said, what's the biggest fear? What's the scary part? Should I do it? Right? People are, we're all enveloped in the stigmas all around us about stuff. It's hard to get that real conversation, the real feedback, the just call me. I will not judge. I will not make you feel bad. And if it's not me, find somebody to talk to about it. Get to a nurse, get to somebody who works in the field, reach out on Facebook, maybe be careful of the groups on Facebook. There's all kinds of shaming going on there. But find somebody you can trust to talk to about it because it will give you the opportunity to learn more, figure out if it's right for you, and then start the journey. I'd also say, like, I, I want to say as, like, an outsider, um, talk to someone who's had it. Talk to a nutritionist or a nurse. You talk to a few doctors who told you you shouldn't have it. So I'm not saying, like, don't talk to a doctor, but also don't talk to a doctor. It's true. It's true. I was committed to it and I knew that it was going to happen and once I set my mind to it yeah. you can say whatever you want even if I'm wrong I'll still do it yeah. but I did talk to a doctor the last doctor I went to who's here who I have not gone back to before the surgery before last the surgery he said oh you've been you, this is your weight and he's like my first visit right he no idea who I am sits down talks to me for an hour about how I should try Noom yeah. which I had already done mm-hmm. and I'm like 
Dude, you don't even know me. You don't even know, right? I, you, you, the person, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you have the control to make this decision for you. You need to arm yourself with the information. You need to understand that while people are out there to help, doctors are out there to help, I have nothing against doctors. They are trying to prescribe what they know to be true facts, all of that, to a person who does not fit into specifically maybe what they're talking about. But their their role, their profession is to do that, to try and make you as healthy as possible. You have to get in touch with your body. This goes back to when I had diabetes and I was on U500 insulin. I'm taking this insulin. I know it's fucking me up. I can't get anybody to help me out. I had to fight like hell to get back on Victoza. I had to fight the insurance company. I had to fight the doctor to write me a prescription. I'm calling the doctor every day to try and get them to call something else in for me. I had to take control of what was going on with my body. And that was the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And once you do, you don't look back. Like, I don't look back and go, oh, I should have listened to that. No. You can talk to me about all the things. I'm going to research all the shit. And I'm going to know what I want to put into my body. And that is the thing that you have to do. Arm yourself with the information. Talk to somebody. I know that there are at least three people that have gained inspiration from my journey to either start their bariatric surgery journey or complete it. Which is cool. And they're going to live a healthier life. Because of it, you have to take control of what you can control. And this is one of the biggest things. I'm literally moving my hands so much and not hitting the table because I've been told that I make noise at the table. But I'm like, I'm like close to the table. I'm so passionate about this. Arm yourself with the information and reach out to somebody who can give you an unbiased opinion about it. Right. Like just here's what happens when you have surgery. Here's what happened to my body. Do with it what you want. I can't make a decision for you, but then neither can anybody else. So don't let them. Yeah. Shit. Anyway, all right. Thank you, Ava, for bringing me out of the funk that I was in today with this with this bariatric surgery. Oh, you're out of it. I feel very inspired <laughs> right inspired. now. I feel very inspired, um, and I feel like there's no end to the world, even though it may be that way sometimes yeah. in my mind. Uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole ass podcast at gmail.com. If you guys have questions specifically regarding this episode, bariatric questions. Email me. Uh, you can shoot me anything you want. I won't. I'll keep it anonymous, and I'll just answer the question that you got. Uh, I would love it. I would love to hear if there's somebody out there listening who's having any kind of weight journey or weight issue or wondering about something that wants to talk to somebody. And another thing, if somebody tells you that they're thinking about bariatric surgery, don't shame them. That's Seriously. fucked up. Like, just let them live their life because also, at the end of the day, yeah. it's not your life. Also, I think that's a lot about what we talk about on our podcast, too, is like, Everyone's just trying to do their best and live their life. So, like, be yeah. supportive of other people's lives. Yeah. Hell yeah. And their decisions. And understand that you might not know the whole background of the situation. Yep. Yep. So, yep. be supportive of everyone. Yeah. Love. Love, baby. That's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're signing off now. Hope you guys are out there living your best life. And and Philip's going to tell you where we can listen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We are available wherever you listen to your podcast. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review. If you don't like it, let us know. If you like it, let us know. We appreciate you guys following and listening. Bye. Bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Whole Ass Podcast. We love that you are part of the Whole A family. 
If you are enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and share with your friends. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. If you have topic suggestions or want to let us know how you are using your whole ass, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at thewholeasspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.